0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Emerald Sports. My name is Brennan Ferber, joined by my co-host, Carlos Pimentel. We are very excited to get this podcast started. Emerald hasn't had a sports podcast in a hot minute. It's been like the spring. Uh, So we're very excited uh, to bring you guys content that is all things Oregon sports. And without further ado, let's get into some of the action. It was a huge week for both basketball teams, the men's and the women's. Uh, We'll get started with the men's and then we can dive into the women's a little later. Um, the men's team is coming off two monumental wins defeating former number three overall UCLA Bruins 84 to 81 in overtime And then the number five ranked team in USC two days later with a score of 79 to 69. It is the first time in program history that the Ducks have beat two top five opponents in back-to-back games And it didn't come a moment too soon. Oregon started off the season six and six Dropping games to team like St. Mary's in Arizona State when they were favored by many to win the Pac-12 at the start of the season Now they appear to have hit a groove sitting at 11 and six and tied for second in the Pac-12 behind only Arizona. Carlos, how do these wins help the Ducks going forward and have they finally turned a corner in their season? I think they do. Oregon has built a
1: reputation in recent years to be one of the top teams in the Pac-12, not only on the men's side of the ball, but on the women's side of the ball. These two wins are huge going forward. To go down in L.A., and pulling out two massive wins is how you, how you put your name on the map. You know, you show mm. the rest of the country like, hey, we're, we started slow, um, we're getting our groove together, and we're ready to play. In two hard places to play, UCLA and USC are both known for great basketball cr- programs, and to go down there after starting slow, um, it just shows that we're, we're, we're ready to ball. And not only that, to, to only lose by eight earlier in the season to number one Baylor at home, you know, it shows that the the top teams better be scared of the Oregon Ducks.
0: Totally. And I'd like to shift back to a little about what you said about some of the expectations people had, because the Ducks are a reputable basketball program. We know last year was insane. The tournament, you know, COVID totally derailed things. Just doing it this year, the fact that we're able to meet here right now in person and do a podcast is incredible. But I mean, you had schools like Duke, Louisville, Colorado State, or just some teams to mention, that were not in the tournament. And because of that, I feel like, you know, the Pac-12 was able to kind of rise to the occasion. They sent five teams, including, you know, Oregon, Colorado, UCLA, USC, and Oregon State. Those last three all made the Elite Eight. Do you think maybe because of that, the Ducks were bound for remission a little bit? Maybe the conference got a little more competitive? I mean, I know we graduated Chris Duarte, who was immense for us last season. Are you amazed... That they started off so slow, and was there any concern for you? Uh, just a little bit, you know. Being
1: being one of the top teams, and especially after what happened last year, um, and the you know the whole season kind of derailed, but still getting in getting into the tournament. Pac-12 was able to send a lot of teams. Losing a big time player like Chris, I think there is this opportunity for the Ducks to to really show who they are. You know, um, starting slow is hard, but. You know, we see in sports, whenever a team starts slow, they kind of bounce back. It, the great teams will bounce back. And I think that's what we're going to see out of, out of the Ducks, especially the men's team. The, to start slow and get over those hiccups early is uh,
0: priming us for a good run in the Pac-12 tournament, hopefully. I totally agree with you. And I feel like people, I mean, we take a look at the schedule. You know, I know I said earlier, we, we did drop a few games. You know, St. Mary's, Arizona State, those are games you like to win. But we also had Baylor. You know, we had Houston. Those are big programs. And I think those help the program more than they hurt it. I mean, we're seeing this in football. We started the season off against Ohio State, you know, turned a huge corner, got a huge win. And that does things for, you know, obviously visibility within the sport, but also for the players, because these guys are competitors, you know, they want a ball, they want to play against the best. I know I remember, I'm getting a little off topic here, but in football season, safety Marco Vidakovic, do you remember? He like walked up to some of the Ohio State people that were visiting on, on uh, looking at the program in the game and he's like, you boys better look at Oregon, you know? And so with success or with failure, you know, I think, I think these games are good for the Ducks. I think it gears us more towards the tournament, even though I know Dane Altman said earlier in an interview, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, because the season started off so slow, uh, there is very little room for error. You know they need to be on their game going forward. Margin of error is very small. So, but I like where they at, and I love what the future holds so far. And it, I and I like what you I like what you said there. Um, you know, bringing up Dana
1: Almond's quote and what he said. You know, there is very small room for error, especially with the way this season's already going this year. We're having games postponed, which we'll get into a little bit later, and we're also seeing games being transitioned into different times. So, your ability to win. Um, and non-normal situations is really going to catapult you into a different, um, category as these other, other teams and having the ability to play a team, um, like UCLA and USC who are both top five in the country in the division, um, or in the conference,
0: you're, you're just bound for success. If you can pull out wins off of that, hopefully. Absolutely. I think it speaks volumes. I mean, I, we don't want to jinx anything, (laughs) you know, speaking, I mean, the tournaments a ways down the road. But I mean, as far as in the conference, it doesn't get better than UCLA. You know, I mean, Arizona's a team to watch, but these two wins, especially going down to UCLA, I know there wasn't a home crowd there, but I mean, I just felt like in the game, the Ducks wanted it more. And that showed, do you feel like the result would have been different if there were fans? I don't know. What do you think? Always.
1: I, I, I'm a, I'm a big home crowd advantage type of guy. So I believe home field advantage is everything. Um, You look at any sport and if there's fans in there, they're going to make it tough. Um, but the way the Ducks played, you know, they, there's teams when you don't have anything to lose um, and the Ducks starting slow, going to UCLA, having their back, not really having the opportunity to showcase, you know, this is what we are meant to be, took that chance and, you know, brought a new level of competition to the UCLA that they probably weren't ready for. And it's like that whole um, punch them in the mouth and see how they react. That's exactly how I thought that game went. Exactly. Do you want to get into the game a little bit?
0: Yeah, let's Let's get into into some recaps. Personally, from my standpoint, I think it was the best offensive game of the year so far um, from the Ducks in the conference. Particularly, I loved the way they moved the ball and got everyone involved. Uh, They shot 43 percent from the floor compared to UCLA's 39.7 and UCLA has shooters. So that stat says a lot. I think every single starter for the Ducks scored in double digits. Perimeter shooting was incredible to start out the second half. Jacob Young could not miss. The guy was incredible. Even the bigs were landing shots. Uh, They were also great in transition. You know, hustle stats. We love those. There were a lot of fast break points. And I just think we looked like, I mean, you said we wanted it more. I think we looked like the faster, more conditioned team, which is a testament to coaching. You know, I think that's what Dane Allman brings to the table. It was also his 700th career win, which I think, you know, we need to point out. I mean, Dane Allman has totally... He's brought relevancy to the basketball program. I think Oregon's always been viewed as kind of a football school. <laughs> this game's proof. You know, we can we can play on the hardwood as well. My game MVP is Jacob Young. I know I said it. He was impeccable from mid-range and scored in like the most important moments. Couldn't have won it without him, I don't think.
1: You're you're completely right. And I'm glad you brought up uh, Dana Altman's seven hundredth wood, because that's huge. Um that is really big for the program. And uh, touching back on what you said about recruits and getting people here, uh, that right there is a testament of, you know, we're, we're here to win. Um, and we, we have a guy behind us who, who will coach players into that situation. But, yeah, you're right. Getting out fast, getting out in transition and scoring, scoring points really kind of set the tone of what the pace of the game is going to be. Um, and that caused UCLA to have to change and react to how the Ducks offense was going to be. Credit their their uh their poor shooting that night. We got lucky on that.
0: But you know, we we shot we shot pretty well that night as well. Oh, absolutely. And um I love what Dane Altman's doing with the lineup too. I mean, we're seeing kind of a trend in the Pac-12. A lot more teams are earning three guard sets, playing two down low. And that's something the Ducks adopted later in the season last year, and they kind of stuck with it this year. I know earlier in the season they were playing Kepnong a lot. Um, and they kind of switched up gears, at least for UCLA, um, and Folly Dante, uh, played a lot of minutes. He also had an amazing game against USC. We'll get into that in a minute, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, I think it enabled us to defend the perimeter a little more, you know, I think UCLA, they also run a similar set. So we didn't have to change anything schematically really from that standpoint. I don't know. What do you think personnel wise? Do you think it's. Do you think it was the right move? Do you think we should stick with it going forward? Uh, if it's not
1: broken, don't fix right. it. Of course, every game is going to be different scheme wise, but I think w- the way we matched up against UCLA and uh, running it kind of a similar set and be able to show them that we can we can play the same type of ball them just at a better level uh, put us at an advantage there. Um, and I, I agree with the with the three with the three guards and the two bigs. Um, you know that we are seeing that more transition throughout the Pac-12 and to be able to play similar styles to other teams gives us an opportunity to switch things up too. Um, if you have that offense down, if you have that defense down that you're going to see a lot through the through the season with different teams, you have the ability to throw in different different kinks here and there that other teams may not see or may
0: not be used to. And it's an advantage for the Ducks for sure. Exactly. And I mean, the great thing about the Ducks is they have guys that can plug and play yeah, I mean, I feel like we can run almost anything. We have three amazing guards, you know, in Will Richardson, uh, Jacob Young, and Davion Harmon. Sorry for the uh, delay there. And then, you know, we got Eric Williams, who started last year. Um, he's been getting a lot of bench minutes. I, I think he expected to play a little more, but I think as long as the team's playing well, you know. But I mean, if we get into the you know the tournament down the road, maybe play some of those Big Ten teams. I think we 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 have no problem rolling up, you know. Maybe three posts instead of three guards, changing it up. You know, whatever wins. I know Will Richardson was saying in an interview that from any given game, any one of us can pop off, and we're more concerned about winning as a team than anybody looking big on the stat sheet. You know, and that speaks to his leadership right there. Um, you're having you're having your point
1: guard come out, and um, and he. Uh, we'll get into this a little bit later as well. He has been on fire lately. Oh yeah. Um. So when you have a guy who is playing his best basketball, coming out and saying, you know, it's not about me, it's about the team. That just shows what what type of level they're at and, wh- and where their head's at going forward, you know, especially after coming off a huge win like this. You know, you want to stay level-headed, but you also want people to know, like, it's not just me who's, who's a baller on this team? You know, we, we got guys who can score. We got guys who can play defense and um, having that bench depth and having players that can rotate in and out allows players like Richardson to get a hot
0: night and be able to establish an offense early on. Definitely. And he hasn't folded. I mean, I hate being critical of any of the players, but I think part of the reason we struggled a little bit early in the season was will Richardson, you know, I mean, Him and Duarte were like a power couple last year. You know, they were a big reason for our success offensively. So expectations were big for him coming in Um, before this five game tear that we're on. He was averaging 12.6 points per game, 41.1 percent from from field goal range, which is still pretty good. But for the expectations, I don't know if it was quite enough. Jacob Young too, 9.1 points per game, 42 percent from the floor. These last five games, Will Richardson is at 19 points per game, 3.4 assists, and shooting at almost a 55% clip. Jacob Young is at 15.8. They have just been phenomenal. And Jacob Young also averaging almost three assists, you know, really getting the team involved. The resiliency is just something I have to give him props for.
1: And just, just that point that you made right there, that these, these guys who, um, you know, Will Richardson Sr., um, Jacob Young, I believe, is a junior you mind? Yeah, he's a
0: junior senior. I think he's he might be a senior.
1: Yeah. So you you got these guys who who are um you know a little bit older, about ready to see what the next step of their life is, and they're struggling at the beginning of the season. They're not really mm. getting their stride going. So for them to step up their play when it matters most really shows. You know we're capable of really anything. We can really make runs, and we
0: can show that we can put the top teams on the heels. Definitely, and I mean, getting back to the UCLA game. I mean, there were a little, to get really nitpicky, I'd like them to finish a little better. You know, I mean, I don't know if you saw that last play that sent them in overtime, the turnover at our end when we were inbounding the ball. For a Dana Altman coach team, you expect the discipline to be a little better, you know? Um, It is what it is. They finished in overtime, props to them. Perimeter defense was a little shaky at time, considering that we run a three-guard formation. You know, tightening that up could be better. But UCLA uh, ran like four with like one post i know they had a few people on the wing you know they have a couple of small forwards so i can excuse that a little bit but uh will richardson i also think needs to do a little better staying out of foul trouble he had his fourth foul at the beginning of the second half and played the entire game so i mean i think if he wasn't playing in foul trouble we could have let loose a little more and it probably would never have gone to overtime just a few things there i don't know what did you see that maybe you didn't like as much um, I I didn't like it going to overtime.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, no, uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to understand, you know, what's going on in a player's mind, especially when it comes down to For the sure. to the to the end like that. Just finishing foul trouble, foul trouble is always always the biggest thing. Mm. Um, especially when your start your starting point guard is in foul trouble, you you limit yourself. Uh, you limit to where to where you can go defensively. So keeping the fouls down and and
0: finishing at the basket are the two biggest things that are going to change the tide of the game for sure. Definitely. I mean, you talk about finishing at the basket. I think that's a perfect segue to the USC game, which is something we did very well. Nefali Dante, man, he just, he popped off. He's my game MVP. I say that even though Will Richardson scored 28 points. Sorry, Will. <laughs> but Nefali Dante played excellent down low. He led the team in rebounds and only missed one shot. And he's also going up against... You know, Isaiah Mobley, who, by the way, big bro, Evan Mobley, killing it in the NBA right now, probably rookie of the year. And little bro is just as good. You know, he's, he's huge. He stacks up at like 611 or something insane number like that. He can shoot, he can play down low. He was definitely, I think a name they had circled going into the game and they played him very well. You know, I mean, we held SC to 69 points, which I think is pretty good. UCLA scored 81. Um, Again, amazing ball movement in that game, which speaks volumes down the stretch They're playing team basketball right now, which I think is the best thing because that's what wins games. That's what wins, especially in the tournament. And I think they did a great job playing defense too, which is another thing. Drew Peterson, the senior guard for USC, didn't get on the scoreboard until the second period, which is huge. You know, I think they definitely looked at some of the struggles there in the UCLA game and worked on that for the USC game because the perimeter defense was so much better. Again, and Fali Dante playing amazing. And Will Richardson is a bad, bad man. That's all I'll say in that regard. Yeah, you can't say it any any better.
1: Will Richardson is coming coming off of the uh, one of the best games, if not the best game he's played, um, at away at USC, popping off. It just shows that he can get hot. And that's something we talked about earlier. And that's something he even mentioned too. Like, yeah, I can score. Um, and then he uh, talked about his teammates being able to score as well. But... Yeah, he's a bad man. To touch on getting to the basket, you know, he was part of the reason that we were able to, you know, get get points on the board and get our offense moving. And the defense just completely switched. That like you said we went we went into overtime against UCLA, but the defense against USC was something that we would love to see every night. Every night that they play. You want to see um hard defense and you want to
0: see guys getting to the rack and scoring buckets. I mean, definitely. And that's something they need to keep up because I mean getting down the road a little bit in a few days there's a certain guy in Washington who can really score from the perimeter we'll, we'll get into that in our predictions but I mean if you look at the schedule obviously there are no easy wins but I mean UCLA and USC back-to-back it doesn't get much harder so the fact that they were able to close out both of those games is huge it's huge um, as the Pac-12 stacks up right now, you have Arizona. I mean, we just started conference play, so a lot could change. But as of January 18th, Arizona is first at four and zero. Oregon, Colorado, and USC are all sitting at four and two in conference play. But then again, Oregon beat USC, so we have the tiebreaker there. Uh, UCLA is at three and one. Stanford and Washington both at three and two. And then you have the Cougars at three and three, who have had some COVID outbreaks. You know, we don't know when they're going to play next. Um, And then ASU, Cal, Oregon State and Utah all bringing up the rear. How do you see the conference stacking up down the road? With COVID regulations
1: and COVID outbreaks, um, it's really hard to make uh, a set prediction. And previous years looking at uh, conferences, especially the Pac-12, you were able to get a really good idea of like these teams we're gonna we're gonna lead the pack. We'll we'll see these guys make a nice run in the in the tournament. Hopefully, um, and you know, teams like UCLA, teams like Arizona, teams like Oregon, those three teams were usually at the top of the pack in recent years. Those are the guys that you circle, mm. um, especially if you're playing in the Pac-12. Those are the teams that you want to knock off and you want to face. So when it comes to the Pac-12 this year, um, you know, there's a lot of hurdles that teams have to jump over. But we, you know, we would love to see Oregon um, make the tournament as a number one seed, winning the Pac-12. Um, we would also love to see see them go far in the in the national tournament. But as far as it comes to other teams, Arizona is always one of the teams that you gotta you gotta keep an eye absolutely. Out for. Um, and and they're showing that right now, being at the top of the Pac-12. You know, we got to keep an eye out for the two teams that we just beat as well, UCLA and USC. They hold those rankings for a reason. Um, So when it comes to the tournament and the way that the Pac-12 shapes out for the rest of the year, we played well, beat two of them. Um, We got to look out for Arizona and um, we can't sleep on teams
0: like Washington. No, absolutely not. Um, And we'll get into the forecast against Washington, but I mean, February 19th, 24th and 26th, it's at Arizona, UCLA, USC, all three in a row. That's right before the tournament. So that's going to be huge. I think that's going to determine a lot of the season. But I mean, for me personally, the Pac-12 is, uh, we got to take into consideration COVID. But it, I expected it to look very different. Ohio State was in the Elite Eight last season. I think a lot of people forget that. I'm, You know, Ducks, fans, people here in Eugene probably want to forget that. I mean, they're sitting at one and five. I don't think at all what the expectations were. But I mean, looking at the tournament last year, UCLA was an 11 seed and they made the final four. So it's so hard to predict. But yeah, I'd love to get into Washington a little bit. They're next up for the Ducks. They play them on the 23rd, which is a Sunday. They were slated to play Washington State, but there's been some COVID troubles and uh, that's been postponed. What are you thinking for the Washington game? Any predictions, any notes, anecdotes? Um, I think that uh, we,
1: we got we to gotta control the perimeter defense. Um, and that's something that we've been talking about uh, throughout this episode is that perimeter defense, um, especially in the Pac-12, is something that you, we got to get established early. Um, we got to establish perimeter defense, letting them know that they can't just shoot threes and they're going to have to earn the points. Um, they're going to have to drive to the basket and they're going to have to earn, earn everything that they get. And also starting fast starting fast is how we can establish our offense as well getting guys hot once a shooter or a scorer sees the bottom of the basket it's usually you know green
0: light from there it makes it a lot easier to score points it is definitely and I think you know as of right now Washington's eight and seven overall they're three and two in conference play that doesn't mean they're not a tough opponent they are they have a guy by the name of Terrell Brown jr. This guy is a dude. He's a senior guard. He's averaging 21.8 points per game with an average of four assists and two steals. Just to put that in perspective, Jacob Young leads the Ducks in 1.3 steals per game. Terrell Brown's averaging double our leader. Um, So starting fast is crucial. The good news, yes, Terrell Brown is a threat, but he's kind of it. Their next leading scorer is Emmett Matthews Jr. with 11.1. And then after that, it's all single digits. So, I think something. I'm not a coach. You're not a coach. Um, but maybe, kind of. They did this in the tournament against Iowa when they got into some of the, you know, the better players that they've seen in the conference. Make one player beat you. You know, don't send everybody at Terrell Brown. Maybe, let him score. Make it so that to beat us, he has to put up 35 to 40. I think that our defense is good enough, especially down low with Kepnong and the way Infali Dante is playing. Um, nobody for the Huskies really scares me there, but I mean, it's important. I mean, anybody can pop off any given game. Uh, college, I think, really differentiates from the NBA in that regard where, you know, the NBA, you have grown men, professional athletes. College students are kids, you know? It's, it's, you're not going to get the same performance every game, um, It's way more up and down. You know, they Um, might be playing at, get done playing ball at 9 p.m. and then have to be ready for an 8 a.m. the next day. Exactly. And then your practice gets canceled and then your game gets canceled and then you're back playing two weeks before the tournament, you know, when you haven't had a game in like a week. It's crazy. So, but yeah, I'm very excited for this game. Uh, Washington also runs kind of a three-guard set. So scheming, I don't think they have to switch up much there. I think the key to the game mainly is neutralizing Brown. Having a having a guy to um like Brown who
1: who you can single out um allows you to establish your defense a little better. Um like you said, you know, maybe make him score 35-40 points a game, but that's going to be your main focus. Uh when you have a guy on your roster who stands out more than the other the other guys that you have, you know, teams are going to focus their defense around you and focus their game plan around you. And one of the things that I would like to mention, too, is uh, taking care of the ball. You know, you mentioned 2.7 steals a game. That is huge. That's a lot. That's that is a big a number. a lot. Um, and all of our basketball fans out there know that that, that is a lot of steals a game. Um, so you got to take care of the ball and you got to make him earn his, earn his shots. You got to make him earn everything that he gets. Definitely. Who do you
0: um, schematically, who do you think they, they step uh, stack up against Brown? Do you think Will Richardson kind of takes... The bulk of that of that matchup, or do you see him throwing Jacob Young? I, I think Jacob Young might be better in terms of defending, but I mean I don't want to take anything away from Will Richardson. The guy's a phenomenal player. I don't know what direction do you think they go there? Yeah,
1: I think you put a uh, best on ball on ball defender on him. Um, so if that's Jacob Young, you got to play Jacob Young on him, and then that frees up. Uh, you know if you're if you're putting Jacob Young on the best scorer, he's going to be working hard his tail off on defense. Um, And that allows Will Richardson to kind of, you know, take it easy a little bit. Um, If he if he's not guarding the best defender, he's not putting as much effort on defense. And that allows him to be a little more fresh on the offensive end where you've seen recently that he is uh, playing lights out. So that's an opportunity for that. You know, we, we could see something different and especially Will Rich, uh, not Will Richardson, excuse me, um, Brown being their main offensive focus, you know, we could see some traps and we could see some uh, double teams coming his way because he he has
0: been lights out this season as well. Yeah, I mean, he has. I got I to gotta give it to him. Probably, I think him and Richardson are both up for like Pac-12 player of the year. They have to be. But yeah, I'm looking for a big game from my guy in Folly Dante. I'm really loving the playtime he's getting. You know, I, I think he's long... He's what I'm seeing. I saw it a lot in the UCLA and USC game. He's so composed and patient, you know, I mean, with Kepnong, he leads the lead, uh, the team and blocks. Um, big defender. They're both around like stack up the same height. But in Fali Dante is, I mean, you'll just see him sit down low and wait for a shot to open up before taking it. I mean, that's just kind of the player he is. And I think that's coaching, too. So, I mean, to sum it up, I think just keep doing what we're doing. And I think the success is going to continue to come. I love the direction this team is heading. I was never worried at the beginning. Absolutely (laughs) not. Just to clarify, we
1: were never worried, okay? Absolutely not. We were never worried. Um, Which makes me want to bring up Will Richardson, uh, Pac-12 Player of the Week. Props to him. Second time in the past three weeks. So this man is uh, two for three lately. Um, That just is a testament of how well we have been playing and how well he has been playing. So I think that's going to be something to keep an eye out for in the Washington game as well. And all the rest of the games coming forward is that we have a legitimate Pac-12 player of the year on our,
0: on our team. And you're going to see a lot of defenses shift towards him. The guy earned it. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. I mean, he's playing lights out. This is what I expected to see from him this season. Uh, He's improving his draft stock a ton. I think you are going to see him take it to the next level and be, just as good. I mean, the guy can do it all. I could, I could talk about him for ever. We don't have that kind of runtime, but I mean, he can finish at the basket. He can shoot. He can play defense. I don't know if you saw that dime. Uh, I think it was against USC when he was like jumping out of bounds and kind of swung it. I think it was Jacob Williams in the corner who missed the three. Not that I'm mad about that, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, <laughs> you love the fun. effort. The effort plays are, yeah.
1: are, are are huge, especially if you're having your best night of your life. The extra effort is what shows the most. I mean, it's stuck in your brain, so I know know it's going to be sticking in other people's brain about
0: that pass. Definitely. Um, With that being said, should we move into the girls a little bit? Talk about some of their recent success? Yeah, I would love to. Um, The the women's
1: team uh, came off a 17-point comeback to beat... Number seven ranked Arizona at home at Matt Knight. Um, and we saw some, we saw Sabrina return at that game. So maybe there was a little bit of, Shout out, you know, ex- extra motivation there. And then not only that, but they beat number nine UConn at home as well. And not only did they beat them, but they beat them. They beat them. They beat them. They beat them. Um, respectfully. Respectfully. But it, of yeah, course, it was of course. disrespect on the court. Right, <laughs> right. Um, but we, Man. But we saw, um, you know, we UConn is very well known. You know, they went on a very long winning streak, a, a very, very good women's basketball program. So to have two top ten ranked teams come into Matt Knight and, and to pull off those wins is is huge confidence boosters. Um, the women's team is looking to get back into the
0: into the rankings, and what better way to do it than to knock off two top ten teams? I mean, when I think women's basketball, I think UConn. That's like the first logo that pops into my mind, just because they have been so so prevalent. Um, over these past few years. So, personally, I was pretty worried going in. I know, I mean, the women's team's great. We all know it, but they kind of, it's funny how they kind of mirrored the men's. Both started off a little slow. I think the women's team was, started out four and four. Most of those losses came on the road, which is something the men's team struggled with as well. A lot, kind of struggling to bring it on the road. They took care of business. I don't know what else I can say. They, we definitely stacked up shorter in comparison to Utah, and I mean shorter physically. Yukon has 265 bigs playing down low in Olivia Nelson Odada and Dorka you has, compared to our roster where as far as the starting lineup goes Niara Sabali is our only post in the starting five they were on a four guard set I mean and and the rebounding stats I mean the Huskies logged six, uh, thirty-six, and the Ducks had 34 the fact that that margin is so small is remarkable.
1: And, and especially the, the score being the difference that it was. Usually when you see uh, something like rebounds that close, you, you expect a score a little bit different. But I will give uh, credit to the Huskies. Um, what they did straight out the gate during that game, they, they went inside, inside, inside. They attacked inside probably their first five, six plays and scored. You know They started out to a, a large run. I believe it was 10-0 that they started out against the Ducks. And then you see the, the, the Ducks come out and switch you know, they they switch into a zone, which was the smartest move. If a team's killing you inside, what better way to mm, just lock up definitely. the inside? And as soon as they switch to the zone, everything started clicking. You you see the, the Ducks create turnovers. You see them start to rebound a little bit better. And then you see them get out
0: and transition, you know, create turnovers and really start scoring the ball on the other side. Definitely. I mean, you said it. UConn did not struggle offensively. They were scoring points. I mean, the, obviously the shift to zone... I think you saw a shift in the game, definitely. But freshman guard for them, Caroline Ducarme, scored 22 points. Uh, She was the leading scorer for their game. You know, I think we we were able to run with them. Uh, Tahina Pow Pow is somebody I want to mention. 22 points. Shout out to Pow Pow. Pow Pow. Wow. Exactly. Her second highest scoring of the game. Shot four from nine from three, which is so good. I mean, I don't. Can we do the math? I don't know what percent that is. It's a little <laughs> um, below fifty, but can we get a stats major in here? Yeah, we need a Jamie. Yeah, That's exactly. Joe Rogan experience has Jamie, pull something up for us. <laughs> can you run the um, numbers real quick? Crunch it. Yeah, Jamie, Thank pull you. that up. Uh, Appreciate it. We'll we'll keep, t- <laughs> keep talking while you're working on that. Uh, Sadana Prince uh, came ready to play and is my MVP. I'm just giving love to the bench players. I love it. I mean, come on. You know. I love your I love your style here.
1: Yeah. Um. Something I I can. I loved Sedona when she came into the game. Um, she came in with a, an intensity and she she went for her shot. You know, she went to the high post where, where she scores well. And she took the opportunities that she, that she got, those open shots. And she really showed that coming off the bench when, you, um, when we're transitioning those bigs out,
0: uh, she's looking to score and she's looking to make a difference. Definitely. I mean, the rapport and just the, the camaraderie that I'm seeing for both teams just warms my soul as a fan they love each other. They play for each other. They play for Eugene. They play for the University of Oregon. And, I mean, I mean, this is like a huge week. I mean, everybody's talking about it. Both teams played so, so well. Um, but just to attest more to Sedona, 14 points off the bench with five boards. Uh, was big in offsetting UConn's size because we already mentioned they were big. Uh, but Sedona, standing at 6'7". Um, you can't really—I cannot praise her enough. Uh, Sedona, if you're listening— Good job. Great job. Great job. And and both teams, uh,
1: both teams really, really have changed the tide. You see, we get the national recognition now, um, making two huge statements in that short of time um, after, like we've talked about earlier in the episode, struggling both teams, not not just men and not just women, both teams struggling um you've seen an emergence of of uh leaders on the on the team. you see an emergence of scores and you see an emergence of defense really coming to full to full circle and we get the national recognition like was announced today the women's team being the national team of the week um america's national team of the week you're getting the recognition we're getting the recognition there's a lot of things to look forward to when it comes to both teams
0: yeah, and the players feed off that recognition man i mean the girls team is very young. So I'm like, as a fan stoked for the future. Uh, the men's is a little different. I mean, I think in our starting five, they're all upperclassmen. So we're going to see some big changes, but I mean, as long as, I mean, people, when they're looking for, for schools to go play at, they're going to think of these games, you know, football, they're going to think of the game Oregon played against Ohio state. And that's That's what's going to keep us relevant. I think in the long run, um, And help make it so, you know, we don't rebuild, we reload. But to talk a little bit about, I mean, the women's conference, we'll dip into that a little bit. Different than the men's, Stanford is the team right now that's at the top. They're undefeated in conference play. Um, You got Oregon and UCLA. They're both tied at second at two and one. Uh, Then you have Colorado, Arizona, USC are all two and two in conference. Oregon State one and one, Washington State two, three. And then Utah, Cal and Washington have all yet to win a game. Arizona State has yet to play. They're 0-0 in conference. So, I mean, it's not just the men's team, you know, that's struggling. Uh, but we feel for the Sun Devils, you know. Not is really. it a
1: surprise, though? But... So let's be honest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, to look at the women's schedule, um, they also have the Huskies um, and then the Cougars. Both those games are on the road. Uh, and then you get down to it. The game to look at is February 20th. when we're playing Stanford and that is at Matthew Knight Arena so I know I'm gonna be there I mean I'm so excited that one's also gonna be televised on ESPN too so mark your calendars people February 20th girls play the Cardinal
1: I will also mention uh now that you brought that up Matt Knight uh had its largest crowd um last night for the women's team it was 9,000 plus um, wow. So they really showed out for, for the women's team. And that goes back to what I said earlier about uh, the home field advantage, um, home court advantage, where you you bring fans in. Maybe... UCLA, you know, maybe we got out of there with a nice win without the crowd. It was a break. Was I a say break. That. We
0: got a break there, but I mean, I don't want to take anything away from the team.
1: Of course. Of course they played well, uh, overtime win is hard fought. Um, but you see what kind of difference it makes when you have uh, a high ranked team like UConn coming to Matt Knight, uh, the, the crowds in it, the teams in it. Um, you, you got a good chance to win the ball
0: game. Definitely. I mean, we got to, I mean, COVID anything is possible, uh, unfortunately for attendance wise. Um, we're hoping we can keep it up, uh, but, you know, we understand safety first. But right now we're on track. I mean, it, it sucks to to not be able to play the Cougars. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that because I don't know if you remember in the tournament last year, Oregon did not play in the first round because of uh, COVID outbreak in the other team. And then they—so they don't get, you know, to get their, their feet wet a little bit. They get thrown into number 2 Iowa and won the game in, you know, do, uh, I wouldn't say dominating fashion, but, I mean, it was definitely a statement. Do you think maybe, uh, just to revert back into the men's team a little bit, that, I mean, playing Washington without Washington State ahead, do you think that helps us, or do you, think, do you think it'll be difficult to keep the momentum going after such a gap?
1: You know, looking, I'm looking back at previous teams have done, um, it's incredible going into looking at last last year's tournament and going and facing Iowa and winning in that fashion. But the, the break, you know, I think we're we're so many games into the season now where, you know, we're we're getting conference games in. we're starting to see who the top teams of the the pack are going to be. I hope that the players understand that this is not something that's just going to happen once um you know we've seen multiple games postpone we've seen multiple things switch around so my hope is that the players are ready for that are ready for a longer layoff than um than they're what they're used to so i hope that when we go to washington um we're we're ready to play because we have a little bit of extra time um and we can kind of focus
0: on what what the job at hand is next yeah i mean every team responds differently you know i don't i I won't lie. Um, I was worried for that Iowa game last year. I mean, you know, not being able to play in the tournament, you know, I mean, I don't know how things would have measured up differently, but they took care of business. I know we have a lot of the same dudes, so they've been here before, you know, I think they can respond and Washington respectfully is no Iowa. Uh, but that (laughs) definitely does not mean that we need to go in thinking that, It's going to be a gimme. You know, they need to come prepared. And I think, you know, Dana Altman, coach team, I think they will. I I feel very confident. I will be in attendance, um, and I'm very excited for that game.
1: I am as well. Um, And it's also, uh, you know, taking— this is a chance for them to to get everything locked in. Um, You have an opportunity to take a closer look and spend more time on what uh, Washington is going to be bringing. And when you have a high-profile scorer— the extra time you can take to set up a defense and get things ready to go, um, I think will be to our advantage. I think this team is rocking and rolling now. You have the momentum. Um, you knock off a couple really, really tough teams. And now your chance to, to take care of business and league play and conference play. Excuse me.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Um, that is more time to prepare for Richardson. I know if all goes according to plan, the Huskies play Oregon State next. That's on the 20th. So that's a game, you know, they want to pay attention to and maybe see what the beeves throw at them, and see if there's anything we can take away, you know, but I think it's important to take this time, keep the energy going. You know, I, I hate to to see such a gap when we're playing so well. You know, I'd love to keep the foot on the gas, but it is what it is. I mean, you can't prepare for this stuff. COVID. It's crazy. And going forward, I we're,
1: you know, this is something that uh, we'll probably see the entire season. Um, I don't want to. I hate to say it, but you know we may see some things in the in the national tournament go a little weird and go a little sideways because teams may have to um, quarantine, may have some COVID uh, protocols. So having the ability to win the big games when you can um, gives us the upper hand Um, when you're knocking off teams and and both women's and men when you're knocking off these top top teams top-ranked teams, uh, knowing that at any moment that your next game is not guaranteed.
0: Um, it's about taking care of business. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I hope that I, I need my bracket. I need my bracket. The <laughs> yeah. I mean, March of Madness is something I look forward to. Um, Every year. And yeah, I don't want to jinx things for the Ducks, but they're doing the right. I, I love what I see. I keep repeating it and keep repeating it. Coaching, discipline, it will speak volumes down the stretch. Yes, sir. A little bit of leadership as well. Goes a long way. Thank you to our listeners.
1: Um, We are really excited for this new podcast to be brought to you. We hope that you enjoy
0: it, and we hope that you come back for our future episodes. Absolutely. It'll probably be, we're looking at a weekly thing, but... uh, All right, deuces, guys. (laughs) Peace. (laughs) Peace.